Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in once again to the Ball on Blast podcast. My name is Sheldon Alexander, joined once again by my dude, my guy, Andrew Webster. Webby, what's up, man? Hey, man, not too much. Just watching uh, some horrific Isaiah Cannon injury replays. (laughs) We are coming to you again, as always. We tape Thursday nights on the Ball on Blast podcast. Your Toronto Raptors have just lost a tough, tough game against the Washington Wizards. But, you know, as always, we, we don't keep it just to the Raptors. We talk about everything going on in the world of basketball and what a week it was, Webby. So eventful much going to, Eventful, to say the least. To say the least, indeed, right? Blake Griffin gets traded. A little thing I like to call keeping up with the Cavs as they continue to be the best reality show that's out there right now. We got, as I mentioned, Raptors talk, of course. James Harden putting up a 60-piece. More Blake Griffin stuff. People going ham at each other on Twitter, as always, keeping our Feed Me segment alive and well. More ish from LeVar Ball that we might try to sneak in just because it's been a while. But so much going on in the NBA, Webby. But of course, there's one place that we always start here on the Ball on Blast podcast. And that is with a little thing we like to call turn up or turn down, which is simple, folks. We make a statement. Turn up equals good. Turn down equals bad. First up, the big news, the blockbuster, Webby. The Clippers won the Blake Griffin trade. Turn up or turn down, Webby? What do you think? Yeah, I got to turn up on this. Uh, Not only do they get a big return and a couple of picks, but they get out from under what was looking like a crazy Blake Griffin contract. And I'm sure we'll go over the numbers soon, but I'm sure that Jerry West and uh, the Clippers front office are pretty happy that they don't have to be paying Blake Griffin $40 million three years from now. So crazy, right? As we go over the particulars here, the Clippers traded Blake Griffin to the Pistons for Tobias Harris, Avery Bradley, Yaman Boban, a first-round pick and a second-round pick, where the Pistons will also get two other players. I think it was like Bryce Johnson and someone else. It doesn't really matter. Willie Reed, maybe? I don't know. To yeah, Willie basically the centerpiece though is them getting Blake Griffin. And in regards to the the topic here, yes, I'm also turning up on this as well, Webby. The Clippers definitely won this trade. But in saying that, I understand exactly why the Pistons did this. They're kind of in the hunt here for the playoffs still in the Eastern Conference, which they moved into a new arena. They're still trying to get fans out because their stadium's empty. And Stan Van, who is running kind of like a Doc Rivers type ship, or at least what Doc Rivers' ship used to look like in terms of being a coach and GM, Stan Van might be in some trouble. So I see him trying to, you know, put all his chips into the middle of the table and he's going for it here, bringing in Blake Griffin, you know, maybe hyping up the fan base, you know, and also it's Detroit. So they're not really able to get free agents like, let's say, the Lakers or whatever, you know? So I understand what the Pistons are trying to do, but I still got to turn down because... You mentioned it, Webby. Blake Griffin, he signed a five-year deal with the Clippers that in the last year, which would be the season of 2021-2022, your man will be making $38.9 million. Wow. So let's let's right? Like, is that crazy? That that is that is why I think the main reason why the Clippers won this deal. Getting yourself out of that contract, no Webby, like that's crazy. For sure, for sure. Now, I don't think it's quite as disparate as we think it is between the who won and who lost. Because in Detroit, 
listen, you're still in the Eastern Conference, and Blake Griffin is, regardless what you think of him, how many games he's played, happen off the court with him, you still got to say he's a top 20 player in the NBA, right? For sure. So if you had a top 20 player to really any team in the East, it could make a big difference in winning a playoff round, maybe even winning two playoff rounds, depending on how great Andre Drummond is playing. That's a great point, Webby. I mean, you're the thing that we're forgetting too is you, you're right. We're putting him beside Andre Drummond, who is an all-star again this year, right? And so now you have two all-stars on your team. Blake Griffin, when healthy, if healthy, is an all-star caliber player in the NBA. And so again, you're right. It is difficult if you're not one of those big market teams to get someone of that caliber if you don't draft them on your team. So I totally understand the risk that Stan Van is taking here when Blake Griffin this year will make 25 and a half and then that goes up to 31, then 34, then 36 mil. And then again, as I said, up to basically $39 million in that last year of a deal. But the thing that would worry me, Webby, is Blake Griffin's last three years. So last year he played only 61 games. In 2015-2016, he played 35 games. And in 2014-2015, 67 games. So if Blake Griffin plays, cool. We know that he's a, he's a great player. He's an all-star level talent. But can he stay on the court? That, I think, is will be the biggest risk factor there for, for the Pistons going forward. Yeah, 100% agree. But that's the risk you take when you trade for a guy like Blake Griffin. Because when he's on the court, he's he's been pretty good. And he had a great debut tonight on Thursday. They looked really good. I'm not sure if they won, but I know that he was putting up some pretty good numbers and shooting the ball pretty well. He did look good. I saw there was a tweet. I think he threw an alley-oop pass to Andre Drummond. And, and the, the caption just said, Lob City makes a return. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Which, Cool. The other one that I saw was that he forgot his jersey coming out for the second half. Did you see that? <laughs> and one of the coaches at the time was up, and he was like, oh, my God. That is amazing. And, yes, the, the Blake Griffin era has begun with a victory as the Pistons won 104-102. As I look up his line right now, 24 points, 10 rebounds, five assists, and two blocks from Blake on 6-12 That's shoot. a tasty line. That's a tasty debut yeah. right there. Right? Stan Van looking good. I mean, it's against the, the Memphis Grizzlies, but hey, you're you're trying to get into a playoff spot. You're going to take the wins where you can get them right now if you're the Detroit Pistons. So I now, get you know what's You know what's so weird about this move, though? Mm-hmm. Is that it's so unlike Stan Van Gundy to have a player like Blake Griffin. What do you mean? Well, when you think of those big, those great uh, Orlando Magic teams, yep. you know that that made the NBA Finals. That was, you know, four shooters around Dwight Howard. Yeah, I and see when you look at, at when you look at what Detroit was putting together this year before training for Blake Griffin, it seemed like the same thing. You had Drummond in the middle, and you had shooters around him. And now you have another big man that comes in, and it's not something that I've really seen Stan Van Gundy use before. Yeah, it is super interesting, but I think it also kind of fits in with this modern NBA where you know it's almost positionless, right? And you're just trying to get talent on your roster and then figuring it out, right? Like putting the five guys out there. And if we use another example, I mean... RIP to Boogie season this year, but we weren't really sure if Anthony Davis and Boogie Cousins would work, and it was finally looking like it was working, right? Yeah. With those two big guys. And it's it's sad to say that it went that Boogie went down when he did, but you know, it kind of just goes with that trend of just get the talent, put the people out there, and they'll figure it out. It's not really focusing on the positions in so much as, you know, who's a forward, who's a center, 
who can play with this guy. Like talent will figure it out. You know, I think that's a thing. Even if we go to OKC, that's another example, right? Like just get the all-stars, get the players and they'll figure it out. Talent will trump everything, right? I think that's a way to go in the NBA. And, and this appears as if Stan Van is kind of figuring that out or at least trying to adopt that mentality. But yeah. the one thing I want to ask you, Webby, is from the flip side here, like Blake Griffin, from everything we know about him, right? I think Blake Griffin loved playing in LA, right? Like that was a part of his whole thing. Like he was a big comedy guy and wanted to get into acting and, right. you know, like... LA was a thing for him. So to make that switch now going to Detroit, do you think that he should be kind of salty towards the Clippers? I mean, he just re- they just signed him to a five-year contract in the offseason. What do you think of that? Well, do you think they should be Well, upset? listen, I don't know about being salty about the, the Clippers giving him all that money. I mean, I might be a little salty with apparently that the pitch that they made to him and the reason that they got him to stay in LA and sign that deal, mm-hmm. you know, pitching him, you know, for the future as a clipper for life and raising his number to the banners and whatever. Yeah. And I understand it's a business. I understand that, you know, Blake probably leveraged a little bit of uh, what other teams uh, might've been offering him around that same time mm-hmm. uh, when the Clippers resigned him. So I, I don't think that either side should be salty uh, of what happened, you know? Yeah, it's so true, right? Because the easy take here was everyone right away in in this culture of how the internet works, right? Blake Griffin gets traded and you start seeing all these tweets of people talking about how, oh, the Clippers did him dirty because, as you mentioned, right, there's this whole write-up about the pitch that they made to Blake Griffin where they had him walk through like this sort of maze and it led him to the court where... They had his jersey retired and the PA announcer came up saying tonight we're honoring a lifelong Clipper. And the whole premise was that they were fast forwarding to, I think, like 2029 and Blake Blake Griffin's retirement ceremony. Right. And their whole thing was that's when they offered him the five year deal because they wanted him to be a lifelong Clipper, be the first guy to have his jersey retired. Right. Which led your boy LeBron James, who we'll get to later because we know the Cavs are everywhere. (laughs) But they asked LeBron James about this, and he said, quote, he spent the last nine years there. He signed a multi-year deal there this summer, so that's unfortunate. But that's the business side of it. It's both sides. It's the business. He says, when a player gets traded, it's they was doing what's best for the franchise. But when a player decides to leave, it's he's not loyal. He's a snake. He's not committed. It's just that narrative of how it goes. So I'm definitely aware. I know that firsthand. He does oh, bring up an interesting yeah, point. He, that sounds like a guy who knows it firsthand. <laughs> right? But uh, you, you kind of touched on it, Webby, but I think it's a thing that people don't really know. So that whole negotiation that was going on with the Clippers at the time, though, right? Blake Griffin, so while all the tweets, I mentioned all the tweets and everyone jumping on Blake Griffin's side saying the Clippers did him dirty, but I think you touched on it early, but Brian Windhorse made it clear as to what happened during the negotiations. And so Blake Griffin at the time was offered a four-year contract from the Clippers, but he wanted that fifth year. So he scheduled a meeting with Phoenix to try to leverage the Clippers into the fifth year. So the Clippers in turn gave him the fifth year, but they leveraged it by not giving him a no-trade clause. So business moves all around, right? If Who knows? If Blake Griffin only takes the four years, does he still get traded? Probably not because he's not waiving that no trade clause, right? So it's a super interesting situation on both sides. And 
it looks like the Clippers are just trying to rebuild now. Do you think that's the right move for them in LA? I do think it's the right move for them in LA. And like, that's the thing about basketball. Like whether you're a player or a team or an owner or a GM, a big chunk of this game is business, right? No, for sure. And they're, they're saying that uh, Woj, who was the one who dropped this Woj bomb, but uh, he also said that the Clippers will continue to pursue packages of young players and picks in talks for DeAndre Jordan and Lou Williams. So they're trying to rebuild. They're trying to paint the picture that they're rebuilding on the fly with Jerry West. But there's kind of the narrative, too, that they're trying to clear cap space to have their options open if, say, you know, some guy named LeBron wanted to go to L.A., but maybe it wasn't to the Lakers. <laughs> Do you what think about, they have a chance there, Webby? What about there, Clipper fan Paul George? Do you think they have a chance there with that? Yeah, I, I would think that they would. There's a lot going on. I mean, the NBA this offseason is going to be so amazing. And so amazing after a season that's just been so crazy and so good. When you consider the fact that in the past year, we've seen Chris Paul, Paul George, Mello, uh, who else am I missing? I'm missing someone else. But like Blake Griffin, like... Kevin Durant. <laughs> well, yeah, if we go if we take it back another year, right? But like this the turnover in this league at the top tier of NBA talent, like it's so crazy and it just the action just never stops. And a lot of people were worried about would this season be interesting and damn, this season has not disappointed at all. Storylines <laughs> the yin-yang every single week it seems every day every day there's something major that happens in the nba it's crazy uh speaking of crazy we'll head to our next turn up turn down topic as we both turned up on the fact that yes the clippers we think won the blake griffin trade but still a good move either way for detroit and it'll be interesting to see the Pistons, again, won tonight, so we'll see how that goes on down the line. But let's shift gears here to our next topic. And I, I teased it off the top of this podcast that uh, keeping up with the Cavs is something that I've kind of coined here because they are the best reality show that is going in the NBA. And I always have a spot saved in our turn up, turn down segment, Webby, for a Cavs question because it just seems like something yeah. else is happening. And I feel like I changed that question like eight times <laughs> up until today where news broke from ESPN. Our boy Chris Haynes says, if the Golden State Warriors can create a max salary slot this offseason, the defending NBA champions could position themselves to secure a meeting with LeBron James, league sources told ESPN. So here's the topic, Webby. LeBron would take a meeting with the Warriors. Very simple. Are you turning up or turning down on this? Got to turn up. <laughs> Listen, I, and I, I wouldn't have turned up, but like we've been saying, this is today's NBA. <laughs> this is what happens now. I can't do it, man. I can't take this in. If he even considers going to Golden State, I'll be so mad. If he takes a meeting with Golden State, not even that he would go with them, because he could take a meeting and just, you know, whatever, like do some like covert. What, what in LeBron's career would make you think that he wouldn't join the Warriors? <laughs> when you put it that way, Webby, you're right. That does make total sense. At this point, we shouldn't be surprised by anything LeBron James does, because we wouldn't have thought he would have went to Miami, right? We, right. after he left and went to Miami and the whole Dan Gilbert situation happened, we probably never would have thought he would have came back to Cleveland as long as Dan Gilbert was still there. And that happened. So and the news surrounding that return to Cleveland, 
happened a lot like this news that's surrounding the Warriors thing. I'm saying this and knowing that I'm lying through my teeth when I say that if LeBron James goes to the Warriors, I will not watch basketball, but I will be so mad. That's a lot. I'll be so bad because that would be so lame. This would be the wackest of whack moves ever. But for the sake of this conversation, Webby, I'm turning down on LeBron would take a meeting with the Warriors because I think that this is just, I think to, to, to use a term that's famous right now because of your boy Trump, this is fake news. I think LeBron is just doing normal LeBron James things right now where he's just leaking all these stories and smoke screening everybody just to deflect away from the fact that their team sucks, but also to force the hand of the Cavs to like, hey, like I got tons of options out there. I can easily leave unless you guys get serious and try to make a move so that we can beat the Warriors next year, right? Or sorry, not next year, in a couple months. So I'm turning down. I think this is all just LeBron being LeBron. At best, he's leaking the story to see what the response would be, to see how the basketball world would react and like just crush him again. Because to me, LeBron of all people knows, Webby, how hard it is to be the villain, like everyone despising you, and then how much it took to work his way back to being the loved LeBron James, you know, that guy that everyone's rooting for again. Like it took him so long to get back to that point. Are you going to really give it up to go join the Warriors when you could just go to Houston or go anywhere else, but just not to the Warriors? I'm turning down on this. I hope this is not a thing. What if it meant his best shot at another ring to get him one more closer, closer to Jordan? Nobody will rate those championships. No. Nobody would rate those championships. I don't know about that. I no, I can't I can't do it. I can't do it. We 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 rate those heat championships. We do, but the the stakes and I agree with you because when the heat stuff happened, I'm trying to think. I was so hard on the whole move to Miami because I just thought it was whack and he joined D Wade's wave and all that stuff, and I was totally against it. And yes. At the end, you come across, you come around because you're just witnessing greatness and he just dominated and he was a man. But I still think at the end, the reason why that wasn't that bad was because they weren't as good as we anticipated them to be. Meaning they're doing that not one, not two, not three, not four, and all that. And really, they just went to four straight finals and won two. Like, you know, the Spurs pretty much almost did that. To me, it, it, what happened in Miami wasn't as big or as crazy as what's now one-upped by what the Warriors did in terms of being one of the best regular season teams ever, losing in Game 7 in the finals, and then adding Kevin Durant, a top two player in the league. Like, I don't know. The, the stakes on this jumping on other bandwagons has been upped so much that I can't rate this. I barely rate Dur- Kevin Durant. I don't even, like, I'm still angry at Durant for jumping on that wave. So LeBron jumping on the wave, nah. Can't but do here's it, the, here, Can't here's do it. The real can't thing. do it. I, I don't think Golden State would do it. Because I think that Golden State, by getting LeBron, would have to lose Clay Thompson and Draymond. And if you take Clay and Draymond off of that team, and even if you play, replace them with the best player in the game, that's not the same Warriors team that's made it to three straight finals. It's, interesting. it's not. That's interesting. I mean, like, I don't know if you've heard anything, but I haven't heard anything in terms of LeBron commenting since the no. stories come out. So I'm waiting to hear that. But this cannot be a thing right now. Again, I think it's LeBron smoke screening because the Cavs right now are the best gong show on TV. There's so much going on. And at, in this edition of Keeping Up with the Cavs, I mean, 
Kevin Love, after being called out in meetings by Isaiah Thomas, right? Kevin Love is down with an injury now. He's out six to eight weeks. You got Isaiah Thomas going back and forth with the media and the media asking him about his shot selection. Then you have another story here that I'm going to assume is leaked by Camp LeBron today that said, sorry, uh, Bleacher Reports' Ken Berger published a lengthy piece on Wednesday detailing the Cavs' turmoil. There's a lot of meat on the bone, but the one most interesting bits pertains to Thomas's close relationship with Cavs owner Dan Gilbert. Quote, Thomas has become a favorite of Gilbert, and they often exchange calls and text messages. A league source familiar with their relationship told the Bleacher Report. This isn't necessarily unusual on a team with an owner who is, an in, who is as involved in the basketball side of things as Gilbert is. It also isn't a great look for locker room chemistry because the rest of the players know it. Quote, LeBron just looks at everybody as a shill for Dan. Like, uh, after, after we heard that Isaiah might be the like, leak to Woj, and now Isaiah is chummy chummy with uh, our boy Dan Gilbert, is Isaiah Thomas the feds? <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, I don't know what's going down. I, I really don't, but I'm with LeBron on this. Because people might say, well, what's a big deal if Isaiah Thomas is close with LeBron? You saw what Dan Gilbert thought of LeBron and what he did to LeBron and said about LeBron when LeBron left. And regardless of how mad you'll ever be, that was a little, not a little, that was well over the line. Like that crossed the line a lot. And I don't blame LeBron for never getting over that. And I don't blame LeBron for being upset at anyone else that would fuck with Dan Gilbert. Cause I wouldn't yeah. fuck with Dan Gilbert or anyone else who fucks with Dan Gilbert. Right. So I don't know. I, I just think the Cavs are just crazy right now. I don't know what else is going to happen with this team going forward, but they have officially to steal a term from Bill Simmons that we talk about all the time on this podcast, the Tyson zone, which I don't know. Wait, did it change to the Trump zone yet or no? Uh, it's got to be the Trump zone right now. <laughs> right? But basically that premise is just simply any headline could come out tomorrow about the Cleveland Cavaliers and you wouldn't be surprised. And I think I'm pretty much there right now because there's just so much going on with this team. Who knows what's next? But it gives us... <laughs> It gives us goodies every week, right? The way that I think about this LeBron Warrior story is that it was only a matter of time. <laughs> Until, I so like, hope this, you're this right. is where the natural progression of the craziness in the NBA goes. I so hope you're wrong, YB. I really, really, really hope you're wrong about this. And I really wholeheartedly, so hard, turned down on LeBron taking this meeting with the with the the Warriors just because I, I can't do it. I can't do it. LeBron would take a meeting with the Warriors. I never want to read that turn up, turn down again, Webby. Never. <laughs> never. But let's move on and turn up, turn down. Keep things moving. Keep things rolling, right? Absolutely. Talked about so many headlines going on in the NBA this week, and one of them was James Harden putting up a 60-piece no Chris Paul in the lineup. I think also Trevor Ariza was out as well, but they were missing key players. And James Harden put the team on his back, putting up a 60-piece in a dub, but he also put up 10 rebounds, 11 assists, 4 steals, and a block. So that means he had a 60-piece and a triple-double. This Just leads us, Webby, to our next... dominant performance. Crazy performance, right? But it leads us to our next turn-up, turn-down topic, which is... James Harden's 60-point performance is better than Kobe's 81. 
Webby, turn up or turn down? Uh, you know I'm no Kobe Stan, but I got to turn down on this. Kobe's 81-point performance is more impressive. What do you need to win a basketball game? Buckets. You need more points than the other team. <laughs> Listen, I think in the last little bit, because of uh, what Russell Westbrook did last year, and really like the, the, the triple-double has made its way really into the basketball fans' lexicons. And listen, round numbers, I'm all about them. Multiples of 10, <laughs> give them to me all the time. But here's the thing. 81 points is 19 away from 100. <laughs> you know? Bring up your college basketball scores mm-hmm. just for this week, and you tell me how many times 81 points would win a game in college basketball. I'm also turning down on this just because to me, right? Yes, James Harden's performance is outstanding, right? Nobody's going to take that away from him because anytime you you have a triple-double with 60, 10, and 11 on nine, you score 60 points on 19 of 30 shooting, hey, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of credit and I'm going to say that that's great. But Kobe scored 21 more points than you in a game. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 21 points is a great night for a lot of NBA players. <laughs> 100%. It's probably a performance of the night. You're, you're probably top five in scoring on an, any given night in the NBA if you drop 21. Right? It's so crazy. And like, if I'm digging it up now. I'm trying to find Kobe's box score from that game, right? And as I find it here, Kobe had in that game one assist, two assists. He had two assists, which is to me that's an amazing feat on its own, right? Like to have eighty-one points and two assists in a game. (laughs) That is so Kobe. That is so amazing. But that eighty-one point performance is still just something that I don't think I'll ever see again. And I agree with you in the sense, Webby, that you know because a triple double has become such a thing, and what Russell Westbrook and even James Harden are doing on a nightly basis. We could see this stat line again. I'm pretty sure Russ had 50 in a triple-double a couple times last year, no? Yeah, they did. So, I don't know. It's a great performance by James Harden. A great performance as well because his team needed it, which I think is an even bigger deal. But I got to go with Kobe's 81 points. I just think that is just one of the craziest things we'll ever see. And yeah, 81. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And like, nobody's seen that. I mean, if you weren't around in the... In the what was it mid sixties? Well, that's what I'm saying. See, Nobody's seen it because nobody Will, and and there's no TV. There's no viz of that game. <laughs> exactly right. So that's what I mean. Nobody's seen 81 points in a, in an NBA game before. So here we go. I'm still sticking with Kobe's 81 is better. So we both will turn down on James Harden 60 point performance being better than Kobe's 81. Webby, did we agree on everything in that turn up, turn down segment? I'm not no, really sure. No, 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 no. We didn't oh, no, agree the on LeBron to the Warriors. The Cavs and the Warriors, or LeBron to the Warriors, we disagreed on. Okay, okay, cool. But still good conversation, right? Good conversation. Yeah, man. We'll get to that. We The one thing we did agree, or one of the things we agreed on, was the whole Blake Griffin trade, and we both thought that the Clippers won the deal. But really, another winner in all this was NBA Twitter. Because this brings us to our Feed Me segment, which once again, for those new to the podcast, our Feed Me segment, we just go through the best and worst things from our social media feeds that the NBA has to offer from week to week. So the Blake Griffin trade was a massive thing, Webby. And I'm going to start off with Blake Griffin's response to the trade. So obviously this came out of nowhere because as Woj pointed out, 
they were working on this deal for, I think he said eight days and nobody knew about it until the 10 minutes before it was made official that Woj tweeted it out. So Blake Griffin's response, the, the internet's going crazy. Twitter's on fire. Everyone has hot takes left, right, and center. And all of a sudden, Blake Griffin, all he posts is a gif of your boy Will Smith from the Fresh Prince <laughs> of Bel-Air. Just a shocked look on his face, just looking like, ooh. Like, if you haven't seen it, I'm sure you've seen it. But I just thought that was the greatest response and just the best example as well of just how awesome the NBA is. Because here's a superstar player getting traded, and that's their reaction. On like He's having fun with it at the same time, even though it's a massive deal. I just thought that's the greatest thing. And you don't even see that in any other sport. Right, Webby? No. Uh, it was fantastic. Perfect use of the gift. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, we know that Blake Griffin has that kind of sense of humor and doesn't take himself that seriously. Yeah. Uh, like, like we want all athletes, NBA or otherwise to be, he's got that perfect demeanor for it. And so like to see him kind of take that in stride, I thought was great. Yeah, I thought so too. It was so funny. And there's so much obviously going on on NBA Twitter after the Blake Griffin trade. And one of the biggest things was Matt Barnes, who was very familiar with the Clippers he posted an Instagram picture of Blake Griffin's contract, which is five years and $173 million with the Clippers. But the caption says, so you trade this guy after paying him this much money when everyone in the organization and everyone who's played there knows Doc is the problem. All in yeah. caps, by the way. SMFH. Cold game. Make sure you pack a jacket, BG. Love, bro. <laughs> now... A few things here, okay? One, I guess Matt Barnes is standing for the Clippers. But two, I think this was all just a cover-up for him to just take a direct shot at Doc Rivers, no? Oh, absolutely. So good. Everyone's so bad at Doc Rivers. Like, how, how much longer can Doc Rivers possibly survive the Clippers when there's such, like, open season hate on Doc Rivers in the job that he's done with the Clippers? It's absolutely wild, you know? Like... I'm surprised that they haven't gotten rid of him yet. I'm su really surprised that he's lasted this long. I wonder if they're giving him the opportunity to step down. Because, remember, Doc Rivers left. He left the Celtics because they were going to rebuild, right? Like, that was a move. They're getting rid of KG and company. And so his move was to get out. He wasn't interested in the rebuild. He jumped over to the, the Lob City when they were supposed to be primed to make a run to the NBA Finals, and it didn't really pan out that way. But since, all his moves have been terrible, but it looks like they're going to rebuild here, and I don't think Doc Rivers at this point wants to do that. So I wonder if this is all just, you know, they're just kind of going to allow him or maybe, you know, suggest <laughs> that he kind of step aside at a certain point while they rebuild. I think that What's might be a thing. What if they make the playoffs? They're not making the playoffs. Why? Why? Who's to say they're not? I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I think they're going to trade Lou. They're going to trade DeAndre, and the rest of the league will just catch up to them, and they won't make the playoffs. I'm glad they have Jerry West there, or just someone in their front office was clearly... He's thinking steps ahead is what he's doing. Exactly. Thinking ahead to be like, okay, well, why come in eighth and get smashed four straight by the Warriors? Like, what good does that do? Right. So let's sell off our assets, get as many picks as we can and try to rebuild going forward, get ourselves some cap space. Great move there. But 
I'm I'm enjoying the shots being taken at Doc Rivers and and Austin. <laughs> I think that's yeah, always amazing. it always comes back to Austin. Always comes back to Austin because Doc has saved him in the league, and I'm not even mad at Doc for giving his son some checks. I'm not I'm not mad at him for Listen, that. Austin's having a good year. But if I'm not mad at him for that, but I'm saying if I'm another player in the league and you know. I was on the Clippers and Austin took some of my money. <laughs> I would yeah. understand why people would be mad at that if they played in the league. So yeah, good luck with that doc. And let's see how that plays out and how much more fun we can get out of the whole Clipper situation in our feed me segment. But there was still a lot going on in the league Webby. And one thing that I think you might be interested in as the battle continued to heat up, between the Oklahoma City Thunder, namely your boy Russell Westbrook, and your man's Joel Embiid. So it's a it's a good rivalry right now. The rivalry is bubbling, but JoJo decided to throw down hard on Russ, who for some reason decided that he was gonna try to take a charge, which (laughs) which was a wrong idea. But that's not even the thing. Russ then just dominated that game. They end up winning. Yeah, it, it was like waking the dragon. It exactly was that. No, it was so crazy. Russ was just like, he took his beast mode up another level and just was throwing down mean dunks. He was going crazy, even staring down JoJo at the end of the game, which was something Dribbling I've never it, seen. Like out the clock. Have you ever seen that before? Someone stare down a dude on the bench while he dribbles out the clock? What's great, too, is that they took the L in that game against Oklahoma City just like they did in the game in Philly. Yep. Um, and here's the thing. You know, Joel backs up that talk. He's he's a great player, mm-hmm. and nothing's going to stop him from that. But you run into some people like Westbrook who, as soon as you say something to him, he's got that Jordan-like ability, you know? Yeah. You say that one thing to him, and he's going to end you. It's so true. And, like, after obviously, as we said, OKC ends up winning the game, but JoJo ends up taking it to Instagram where he puts up a photo. <laughs> this oh, is why the, the Feed Me segment every week is so good. And I love the NBA so much. I say that every single week. But JoJo decides to put the picture on Instagram of the perfect frame of him dunking on Russell Westbrook with the caption that says, tough loss, hashtag the process. But his location, he changed to crime scene investigation. JoJo is a feed, a feed me all star, Webby, because his social media troll game, his social media troll game is on fire. But what did you make of this, Webby? What did you think of this? Well, listen. Not only is he a social media all star, he's an NBA all star. <laughs> Sorry, I, I forgot. I left that part out. My bad. My bad. Uh, no, but you know what? Like, like I say, that, that this is part of Joel's personality, and he likes to have fun. Uh, he recognized that they did take a tough loss, but he's having a little bit of fun, man. That was an amazing dunk, and he should be proud of it. This, to me, Webby, I'm not going to lie to you. It made me have one of my old man get off my lawn moments because I was like, this. We talked a couple weeks ago on the podcast about you know, the different generations, the generation gap in the NBA. And I think this was a perfect example in the sense that you lost the game, but you're going to run to Instagram to try to win the Instagram battle against Russ. Like, I don't, yeah, I just didn't it, get it. It didn't, it didn't rub me in that, that, that way of like, he was trying to be butthurt about, about what happened. You know, it wasn't like he was kind of calling out Russ for uh. doing, I don't know. I think he was just trying to have some fun, you know? 
I think he's definitely having some fun, but I think that when a guy's staring you down to end a basketball game, I don't really think that he's up for your jokes after. Do you know what I mean? And I just think that that's like trolling Russ, and you know that you're trolling Russ and just angering him more. And hey, if that's your goal, cool. But again, like I said, when we had this conversation the first time, I just hope you have that same energy when you see the man again. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But hey, I, I really think Joel will. I, I, you're probably right. You're definitely probably right. But I just hope so just because, you know, I was just like, why, why would you do that? Like you lost the game. Just take the L and, and chill out. But hey, to each his own. And you're right. At the end of the day, it is kind of fun. So we're laughing about it. It's giving us content. I'm not mad at JoJo. Keep doing your thing and feeding us here on this Feed Me segment, right? But uh, I, I want to know. I, I've, got, I've got a good over-under for you. Okay. Over-under tweets Joel Embiid sends out during the NBA All-Star game. During the game? I'll oh. say one and I'll set it at one and a half. I'm going under. How's he going to tweet? He's going to have his phone on the bench? They'll figure out a way. Yeah, and somebody will give him a phone on the bench, and they'll take a pic of him and Drummond. Or him and Rihanna, because I think this is how it's set up. Exactly. But moving on here, yeah, we'll look forward to that. And you know what? That would definitely make our Feed Me segment that week for All-Star Weekend if JoJo did that. But as, as we move on, Webby, this week, speaking of taking L's, Enos Cantor and the Suns. Things got spicy during the Knicks-Suns game, and uh, the Knicks ended up coming out with the victory. And during the game, though, there appeared to be a little tussle or a, a little hold-me-back segment, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Where uh, it was Cantor and Devin Booker, I think, exchanged words, or Devin Booker exchanging words with someone during the game. And either way, that's not why we're here. We're here for the Feed Me segment and what happened on social media after. And your boy Enos Cantor, who's been known to troll LeBron James this whole entire season, decided that he would take his aim at Mr. Booker, and he posted a picture of Booker holding a giant-sized L with the caption, hold that L, kid, talk to me nice, or don't talk to me at all. Who is he, Baca? Like, what? (laughs) And no, I said Baca, not Ibaka, for those people who might not be from Toronto, and you should know Baca not nice. But anyways, that didn't end there, though, Webby. That would have been enough, right? That was a good laugh. It was funny. Photoshop job, you know, which I wonder who does a Photoshop for them. Do you think Cantor is actually putting the L in Booker's hand? I bet you you Cantor knows his his way around Photoshop. (laughs) So Cantor hits Booker with the L, whatever, sends out that. But I didn't see a response from Booker, but I did see one from his vet, Jared Dudley, who says, you talking like you in the playoffs, bruh. You not Westbrook, bruh. Don't let the, that Knicks hype fool you. We know you are a fake tough guy who likes Twitter. We already saw LeBron sun you. What do you rate Der- Jared Dudley's response and sticking up for his teammate? Do you like that? Or do you think he yeah, should I let it, Booker handle his it, own beef? I give it a 4 out of 10. A 4 out of 10? Ooh, that's low. How come? Because then Kander comes back with the better one. <laughs> You're right. Kander comes back and he says, get on the treadmill before you talk to me, bro. You got the retirement body. With two smiley face emojis. That is pretty good, I will say. I rate that an eight or a nine. <laughs> Why? Because the truth hurts? Is that, yeah, exactly. Is that Although, listen, listen, 
Steve Nash got Jared Dudley on that vegan diet a while ago. He definitely did get him on that vegan diet. And then Steve Nash retired and Dudley kind of, you know, not that he, I mean, he's an athlete. So obviously he's in some type of shape. Like we're not talking about Oliver Miller here or anything like that. (laughs) But in terms of like just an NBA back and forth on Twitter, Enos Cantor, are you you getting tired of his act or are you enjoying it? Because it's one thing for JoJo, because as you said, Embiid's an all-star. Enos Cantor isn't really an all-star. Exactly. And it seems like, I mean, this isn't, I, it, it seems a little different than Joel Embiid because like Joel Embiid's whole kind of NBA persona has been tied in with his uh, usage of social media. And, and it seems like this has just happened with Cantor lately. And he's seeing it as a, as a way to kind of keep his relevance going, you know? Also, too, like something to touch on that you just said when we were talking about Embiid in the Feed Me segment. Embiid is a lot more playful and a lot of more jokes, whereas Cantor is trying to like go at dudes on social media. Yeah, yeah. It seemed a little more mean-spirited. Yeah. And it's one of those things, too, where it's like I do wonder if you have – if speaking of having that same energy – if the same can be said for Cantor, and will he have that same energy next time he sees the Suns, right? Because, I mean, it's one thing to tweet stuff, but again, it's the NBA, which means you know where dudes are on the schedule and when you're playing them again and all that other fun stuff. So we'll see what happens or what transpires there, but another just fun fun entry into the Feed Me segment by Ian yeah. Uh Moving on, this is something that you sent me, Webby. Oh, we got to talk about real crime today, Sheldon. Right? We talked about crime scene investigation, Joel Embiid's story here. But we're moving on as as a Twitter account, KTVU tweeted out, Someone took off with seven-foot red panda acrobat unicycle from SFO. $2,000 reward. So when you click the link and you read the story... Someone stole the seven-foot unicycle from the woman behind the red panda acrobat at the San Francisco International Airport, and now her agent is offering $2,000, no questions asked. <laughs> like the no questions asked. Like, what is going on here? Like, who's stealing a seven-foot unicycle? Like, what? What are you going to do with the seven-foot unicycle? How does this happen? Well, listen, we talked about red panda earlier. She was having kind of a rough time early in the in the season. Yes, she was dropping true. plates. She wasn't completing the routine. Mm-hmm. But now, since I've been watching since then, she's been on fire. So it's a shame. Then you know she was on fire. Here's and then all of a sudden, what I think. Just, it's gone. Here's what I think. Okay. You know the two dudes, the the big gymnast dudes who do the uh, halftime at NBA sometimes, and they hold each other up. Yeah. I think they stole it. <laughs> they want their cornerback. They want all they the want their cornerback. Yeah, man, <laughs> I do. You know what I think she should do? I think that the red panda should go back and find Marshawn Lynch's phone number and get some of Marshawn's boys to look into this. Cause I feel like they'll have more success trying to track this down. If you remember, uh, I bring this up cause if you remember earlier on in the year, the Marshawn Lynch Facebook show, the Red Panda was on the Marshawn Lynch Facebook show where she was performing her act for Marshawn, who was just absolutely mesmerized by the Delighted. entire thing. He loved it. I think her move now should be to find Marshawn, get Marshawn's boys to get on the case because I have a feeling that they might do a better job or a faster job, a more efficient job than the San Francisco police will in terms of finding this uh, 
seven foot unicycle. And you know what? Because Marshawn's got that dough, he won't even need the $2,000 reward. He'll just do it off strength of reputation. Listen, not only that, but it was stolen from the San Francisco airport. Marshawn Lynch, well-connected in the community in the Bay Area. Well-connected indeed. And uh, there's one more feed me I want to get to there, Webby. One more feed me because we are well-connected thanks to the interwebs and the internet to LeVar Ball, even though he's still in Lithuania and has turned into now a, a head coach or an assistant coach or who knows what he's doing out there. Basketball promoter like uh, Don King? Yeah, that works, actually. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. But uh, the reason we bring this up is because word trickled back to the NBA, and I think that most people are kind of on LeVar Ball fatigue, and so this story didn't get as much juice as I feel like it could have. But LeVar Ball says, quote, anybody can be a coach. Look at Steve Kerr. He's a Milli Vanilli of coaching, which I mean is... You can go stand in the same spot like Luke Walton did and win 27 games when he got the right horses just running. Sometimes less coaching is the best coaching. But some of these guys like to act like they are really coaching somehow someone to play. How are you going to coach KD, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson? You know how you coach them? You don't. You turn your back and you let them do what they do. As soon as they win a championship, everybody's like, oh, he's a great coach. That team was put together by Mark Jackson, and now he jumped up trying to take all the credit. That's why I'm calling him the Milli Vanilli of coaching. <laughs> a lot to a lot to piece together there from your boy LeVar Ball. But I know it's LeVar Ball, so everyone thinks he's crazy right away, so that's why this story doesn't gain traction. But if we were to switch the messenger here, and someone else just said, is Steve Kerr really that good of a coach? What do you make of this whole this whole premise here, Webby? Of course, Steve Kerr is a good coach. He's got a coach, Draymond Green, for 82 regular season games, okay? Keeping him not kicked out of every game and being able to harness the energy that Draymond Green brings to the table night in and night out makes Steve Kerr a great coach. I don't care what he does with any other player, but what he's done with Draymond Green solely that's why I think he's the best coach not named Greg Popovich in the NBA. Okay. Okay. That's fair. I, I will say though, that I do think that, you know, maybe calling him Milli Vanilli is a little bit too far, but I, I will say there is something there in the sense that we don't really know how good of a coach Steve Kerr is because he walked into a very good situation and Luke Walton it's was able to win. Better. Luke Walton was able to win 27 games, Right when Steve Kerr was gone. So, I mean, do I think Steve Kerr does deserve credit? Of course he does. You know, he gets them, he's on them all the time to play defense. He, you know, gave Steph Curry more of the freedom to kind of just take whatever shot he wants, literally. You know, and I, I don't know if many coaches would let Steph Curry do that, but clearly it's worked. And now, is a margin of error, like does he have a, a, a margin of error because now you have Kevin Durant? Of course. But, I do think there is some legitimacy to maybe Steve Kerr is a bit overrated as a coach. I will say that I will agree with LeVar a little bit there, but of course it's LeVar and he does a good job of getting headlines. And how do you do that? Yeah. By calling Steve Kerr the Milli Vanilli of coaching. <laughs> exactly. Bravo LeVar. Way to keep getting headlines. But speaking of getting headlines, Webby, let's move on to our wrap it up segment. And we mentioned earlier at the start of this podcast, we started recording just after the Toronto Raptors 
ended up losing to the Washington Wizards, a John Wall-less Washington Wizards squad. And that makes me wonder, Webby, what do you make of this Raptors run here? We kind of talk week after week about what we think of the Raptors and how they're doing and where they're, they fit in the standings. But there's kind of a story that made headlines heading into this game where Bradley Beal said that he thinks the Raptors are the best team in the East. Now, Beal went out and beat the Raptors, but you know, it's one game. But overall, what do you make of that statement? Do you agree with Bradley Beal? Are the Raptors the best team in the East? I would say they're tied for the best team in the East. Yeah. Ooh, okay. I don't think there's much I don't think there's much space between Toronto and Boston. And I think that uh, in a seven game series at home court between those two will play a lot into that. But yeah, I agree with Bradley Beal about that uh, Toronto being, if not the, then 1A or 1B of the teams in the East. And, you know, while losing to the John Wallace Wizards, you know, on paper, first glance, does seem pretty bad. Man, that's a that's a road game uh, in Washington against a team that, you know, hasn't had Wall for big chunks this season and is still right in the thick of the Eastern Conference playoff picture. So, like... Uh, the, that's a tough game, and I know the Raps have had their ups and their downs, but I don't think it's time to to necessarily like, count, count them out. You know, here's my thing, right? Like I've been in the same spot with the Raptors, and I've tried not to ride the wave, as I feel like most of the people that follow the Raptors and Raptors fans have kind of ridden the wave, rode the wave of you know the highs and lows that the Raptors season has had, and there's a lot of talk now from people where you're here. This is the best Raptor team ever, and all this other talk. And I still haven't wavered that nothing matters until the playoffs. Like nothing matters until the the full playoffs are over. Because to me, it's like, okay, well, what does being the best team in the East right now really mean? What does even getting the first seed in the Eastern Conference even mean? Like that doesn't give me that much more confidence that the Raptors are making the NBA Finals. You know what I mean? I think everyone's theories or their love affair with what the Raptors are doing this season has to do with A, how great they looked early on with the ball movement and the new offense, which I feel is kind of slowed down lately, if we're going to be yeah. honest. But also, I just think everyone's good feelings about the Raptors has more to do with what else is going on around them in the Eastern Conference and the chaos that's going on around them in the Eastern Conference, more so than it has to do with how good we think the Raptors actually are. Like, if we just look around at what's going on in the East, we talked about the Cavs, and the Cavs are just a complete gong show right now, right? Kevin Love's injured six to eight weeks. Who knows where that puts him at right at the playoff mark, like how he's going to play. We don't know. Right. John Wall's also out for a long time. We don't know how that's going to play out for the Wizards. The Celtics are good, but the Celtics are also relying on a lot of young guys, so we don't really know how that's going to go. The Bucks fired their coach, so we don't know, really know how that's going to go, right? Like, there's so much going on. There's so much chaos going on in the rest of the Eastern Conference, whereas I feel like the Raptors have been, for the most part, consistently just chugging along amidst all the chaos going on everywhere else. And I think that's what makes people feel like the Raptors are better than... I actually think they are, if that makes sense. Do, do you know what I'm saying here, Webby? Uh, listen, absolutely. And the, the name of the game for the Raptors this whole season and the reason that they've been so successful is consistency. Yeah, definitely. You know? I just think people overlook things, right? Like there's there's a telltale stat that we that I always think is super important when you're trying to figure out who's real and who's not, right? And 
we talked about it from the start of the year in terms of, you know, if you pay attention and people were worried about Oklahoma City and we said, you know, give them time and people, they'll figure it out. And they, they're, they've they been playing better as of late, right? They're now fifth in the Eastern Conference. But the thing I really bring up that I feel is important is when you look at teams' records versus 500 and above teams, okay? And I look at a team like Oklahoma City and they're sitting at 15 and 11. You look at the Minnesota Timberwolves, they're at 18 and 13, right? You look at the Houston Rockets, 14 and 9. Obviously, we know Golden State's going to be doing really good, right? But then you flip over to the other conference, and the Raptors are only 14 and 13 against teams at 500 and above. You're basically right. playing 500 basketball against the good teams in the league. So while we're, we're all crazy and thinking like, you know, first place, NBA finals and all that, I'm just saying, relax, slow down, wait till the playoffs come cheer for the team, you know, but don't, don't ride the wave, enjoy the team, enjoy the kids. I know I say this every week, but like the wave, man, like settle down on the wave. Cause it's, it's, it's I still haven't wavered. I'm not going to be swayed either way, either way until playoffs come. You just enjoy the ride with this team. Yeah, man. And there's just in the recent games, Webby, there's just been things that, you know, I don't want to say they're falling back in the bad habits because I think that's too much of an overreaction. But I don't think that there's an excuse for you losing to the – like you like you can't tell me your aspirations are making the NBA Finals and you're losing to the Wizards without John Wall. I can't – like that's not something that, that I'm going to you know take in and take seriously, right? You're not going to lose at home to the Utah Jazz and I'm going to take you seriously as an NBA Finals team. You're not going to lose to – the Minnesota Timberwolves without Jimmy Butler. And I know they beat Minnesota this week at home, but they, they, that's a grind out victory, right? I don't know. I just think I'll tell you exactly why they lost tonight. Okay. Okay. Here's what I got for you. Eight, zero, five, zero and (laughs) DNP. Okay. Okay. That that's Pirtle, DeLon, Siakam, Nagaro and Van Vliet. Benched in travel. Well, that's what I'm saying, man. I got you. I got this you. This is the, the the way this team is is playing. They need a, they they need a complete performance from these guys. That's the when you have a rotation like this, relying on DeRozan and Larry doesn't work anymore. You know, for the success of this team, you need chipping in from all these players. And like you say, if the bench doesn't travel then you're not going to win. I don't care if John Wall's playing or if he isn't. It's interesting too, right? And, and you know, maybe to round out this conversation, the, the key messaging here is, you know, shift your focus on, on to the improvement, the continued improvement of the young kids because that's really what's going to carry you in the playoffs. If there is a deep run to be made, it's going to be on the backs of the kids because you're going to need them. And, you know, obviously that's why getting the first seed is more important because you get more home you get more home games being the number one seed, but still at the end of the day, you need Norm to come back around and he's playing a little bit better the last few games. But if I'm Raptor fans, my advice to you guys is just focus in more on the continued development of the kids because that's, what's really going to carry you. Cause you need them come playoff time. Cause if they don't yeah. show up, it'll be a short, short playoff run. Believe in the rotation, man. It's been, like we've said, so consistent this whole year. So speaking of belief, Webby, I'm going to take us to our Ask on Blast question here, you know, and uh, our Ask on Blast is a little different this week because if I'm going to be really honest, I've been 
hella busy the past few days that I didn't even have time to try to go through and look and find questions from our on blast or ball on blast listener. So I just made up some a couple questions for you, Webby, because the Super Bowl is just days away. <laughs> so I know who you're cheering for. I know who you're cheering for, Webby. But I, I want to know what are your it's, plans? It's who it's so, who, you know, 80% of the population is cheering for. <laughs> I want to know, Webby. I know who you're cheering for. But my question to you right now is where are you what are your plans for Sunday? Where are you gonna watch the game? What give me your setup on Sunday? Okay, so I thought about just not going anywhere and and staying by myself, drinking as much as I can, <laughs> and watching it in complete solitude. Okay, but I've started a new job, and you know they're very social. Oh. And uh, uh, one of the people, uh, one of one of my coworkers, and his uh, and his uh, girlfriend, who is also works at the company, they're having a few people uh, for a get together for Super Bowl. Uh, you know, like a couple of snacks are going to be served. Uh, I'll probably bring a six pack, you know, of, of cold, uh, uh, cold, good American beer. And, uh, and, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to absolutely terrify my new co- co-workers <laughs> because I don't think that they know how much this means to me as an Eagles fan. That is and I don't take things real well if they go wrong. Listen, were the Eagles underdogs against the Atlanta Falcons at home? Yes, they were. Yep. Were the Eagles underdogs at home against the Minnesota Vikings? Yes, they were. And are they uh, underdogs against the dynasty of Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and Robert Kraft? Of course they are. But you know what they did in those first two games? They won the fucking football game. <laughs> uh, and they're going to win the fucking football game on Sunday, okay? And when the Eagles do win the Super Bowl, I'm going to weep. <laughs> Webby, I'm going to tell you something right now. I've been teasing since last week that I wasn't sure yet about what I was going to pick. And you know that I am a Tom Brady stan. You know, me and Tom Brady actually share the same birthday. And, Amazing. Uh, I am not a Patriots fan, but I'm a Tom Brady supporter. I appreciate the greatness that is Tom Brady and watching him in winning time. And he's won me a lot of money in multiple Super Bowls. So you you know that about me. And I've been teasing my pick for this upcoming Super Bowl, Webby, until now. And I'd like you to know, Webby, that I'm taking the points. And I'm going oh, with the wow. Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, wow. The Eagles, I think, and this is going to sound crazy, but the whole year, I, the Patriots were good, don't get me wrong, but I never thought they were that good. I feel like I never thought they're like on either side of the ball. They had like an A plus offense or an A plus running game or an A plus defense. You know what I mean? Whereas I think Philly's defense is legit. And so Gronk's kind of banged up, but he'll play. But you don't think that any of those Philly DBs or safeties are sitting back and they're going to be waiting to take a shot at Gronk? Of course they will, right? And I just think if you're looking at that Philly defense, they will be getting pressure on Tom Brady. And what is the way to beat the Patriots? Get pressure pressure on Tom Brady with your defensive front. Because if you have to blitz against Tom Brady, that means you're taking people out of coverage and Tom Brady's going to pick you apart. And the number one thing that uh, separates uh, this Jim Schwartz defense from what the Eagles used to be built on when they had Jim Johnson as their defensive coordinator 
rest in peace, Jim Johnson, mm -hmm. is that they don't blitz nearly as much as a lot of other teams. Exactly. And they still are able to get pressure on the quarterback. And for that reason, on top of the fact that the Jaguars should have beaten the Patriots if they had any quarterback that wasn't Blake Bortles, I'm going with the I'm going with the Philadelphia Eagles. So hopefully I didn't jinx your team, Webby, but good luck on <laughs> Sunday, my dude. Let's go Eagles. Fly, or sorry, fly Eagles hey, fly. Come on, fly right? Eagles fly, baby. And may the Meek Mill be bumping all night long, right? You know it well. You know it well. <laughs> well, hopefully Philly will be enjoying Sunday night just as much as I hope that you guys enjoyed this edition of the Ball on Blast podcast. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at Shell Alexander and on Instagram at Sheldon Alexander. Uh, and if you want to read my uh, one-word tweets during the Super Bowl, uh, where I will be on my phone in a group of people trying not to uh, swear at them, so I'll probably be just tweeting out one-word swears, <laughs> you can find me at a Webster 84 And until next week, hopefully we'll, when Webby will be celebrating an Eagles victory, we are hopefully once I'll again. I'll have my voice back by then, <laughs> you know, after losing it on Sunday. <laughs> Until next week, we are the Ball on Blast podcast, unpolished and unapologetic. Until next time, see ya. Peace. Ball on blast.